Hey friends, this is Josh Blair, and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer for the message you hear today is that it will inspire you and encourage you to walk closer with Jesus this week. If you want to stay connected with us, please check us out at CVC Madera, both on Facebook and Instagram. And you can check out our YouTube channel, Central Valley Church. Thanks for listening. God is speaking, and God is moving, and we are excited to be a part of that. This is the second week of the new year which means it's also the second week of our Bible reading plan. And we've been reading, uh, starting in Genesis, moving through, and uh, doing it chronologically as it falls by date. And so uh, if you've been reading with us, you know that this last week we stopped from Genesis and jumped into the book of Job. And the book of Job is a very challenging book for a lot of us to read. It's challenging because of several reasons. One, we see Job, he suffers, uh, and it seems like at no fault of his own, and that challenges us. It It challenges us when we go through suffering, but it also challenges our common understanding of what should happen in life, this this common uh, understanding of how the world works. And we're going to talk about some of those common understandings that we have in our society, in our world, and how those things have come into the church to distort who we know God to be and God's image and his character. It's especially challenging in Job when we, when we pick up, we begin to read in it, and we see this dialogue between God and Satan, or Satan, the accuser of the brethren. And we see this dialogue between them where God says to Satan, as, he, as Satan stands before God's throne, have you considered my servant Job? And it's as if God is almost baiting Satan in this instance. And with, it's a challenge, this dialogue. And and God says, man, look how faithful he is, how, how kind, how compassionate. And Satan says, yeah, he's faithful to you because of all the blessings you give to him. But strip those blessings away and he'll curse you to your face. And it challenges us. It challenges our notion of who God is, his character, and his nature. But it also challenges us for the reasons why we follow God. It makes us question, why do I follow God? Do I follow God because... Uh, What Satan is saying is true about me. I follow him because of his blessing. And if his blessing is stripped away from me, I fear that I would also curse God to his face. Or does it, or does it, uh, is there another reason why we are following God? It causes us to question why we follow. Is it because he is worthy or because of the blessing he gives us? As we're reading through the Bible in a year, We're going to continue to look at the Word of God as it represents and reveals to us the nature of of God and His character. And in Job, we face this question of God's justice and His power, meaning, why does God allow pain and suffering to happen to Job? Why does God allow, and furthermore, why does God continue to allow us to experience pain and suffering and evil in our world? We've all experienced it in one way or the other. Even more recently through this pandemic of COVID and losing loved ones and family members and uh, not only just from virus issues but also because of uh, financial issues and and businesses closing down and hardships on families and because people are unable to go places, uh, domestic violence increases, child abuse increased, suicide increased. We're seeing the effects of evil and suffering and pain and we all question in ourselves. Why does God allow this? Some of us experience some of these things even more horrific than others, and we've witnessed it. 
and it affects us all. And the challenge of Job and the challenge we see today is how can a loving and powerful God allow suffering and pain and wickedness in our world? The question that we would rise from the book of Job is this. If God is all powerful and all good and all loving, how does suffering and evil exist? Have you ever asked that question of yourself? I know it's a, it's a, this is a, a weighty message this morning, but when we're reading the, through the book of Job, I don't know how to do lighthearted stuff. Because we're all feeling it right now. We are all experiencing it. We're dealing not only with the pain uh, and the, the, the suffering and the evil, but we're, if we're not experiencing it firsthand, we're dealing and wrestling with the fear of pain and suffering and evil. And it's all confronting us. This is the question that rises from the book of Job. And Job, as, as we read through Job, it looks like he is challenging God's justice because of the evil he's experiencing, what appears to be at no fault of his own. How can a loving and all-powerful God allow such evil in the world? Evil that we experience today, sex trafficking, murder, abuse, disease, terrorism, natural disasters, and it makes us think, if he can't stop it, then he's not all-powerful. Or if he won't stop it, it's because he's not all-good and all-loving. But God can't be both, both good, just, and loving powerful if he is willing to stop it why does evil exist so that's what we're going to tackle today we're going to address that issue of suffering and evil and pain in our world because for skeptics of god they say since evil exists god must not exist and as we address this challenge that rises in job we have to first say this that this is not just a, a, a theological issue or a philosophical issue. This is a personal issue. Would you agree? We experience pain and suffering and evil. We ask ourselves, why, God, is this happening? Why does this exist? We've all felt it. We've all experienced it. We see it. We hear about it. And it makes us sick. As a pastor, I know that I've dealt with families who've had who've lost family members, who have family members who have been murdered. We've seen people who've passed in car accidents suddenly without any explanation. We, we see the consequences and the damage of divorce and domestic violence and child, children's death, and it never gets easy and it never gets comfortable. And it sits with us, and it's a pit in our stomach, and we know it's not right. We know that it's not the way it should be. This is something that we continually see in the Bible, too, even from the beginning, as we began to discuss last week, starting in Genesis, that God made everything beautiful and perfect and in harmony, and within three chapters, evil, sin, and death had occurred. When Adam and Eve began to rebel against God, they, and the next generation, we see Cain kill his brother Abel. Then we see wickedness increase up to the time of Noah, where God has to send a flood, but he sends an ark of safety to save people. But we see wickedness increase and even to the Tower of Babel. And as we're going to continue to read throughout the scripture this year, we're going to see 
the turmoil of God's people as they become slaves in Egypt. And as God calls them out, you see the persecution of the prophets and you see the outcry of David's heart in the Psalms. And you begin to understand that there is a theme of suffering and evil and pain throughout Scripture. What does this reveal to us about who God is, his nature, and his character? We even see as we get to the end of the book in Revelation chapter 6. We see the people of God cry out to God. They say, how long, God? How long until you judge and avenge our blood? How long? The entire Bible is a story of how evil has affected our lives from the fall of Adam and Eve all the way up till today. And the Bible doesn't just pretend that suffering and evil doesn't exist. It confronts them head on. And it provides the best answer that we have to the solution of suffering and evil in our world. Whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're a believer or not, we all have to address evil and suffering in some way. And it isn't enough to say since evil exists, God doesn't exist. How do we address suffering in our world? And I'm going to sketch some things out because that helps me learn and helps me uh, explain better. And hopefully maybe it might help you as well. Because there's some things that have snuck into the church that kind of help us try to explain evil and suffering, and they're not biblical, and they're not helpful. And so I want to just write about some of these things quickly. The first one that we see that has crept into the, into the church has actually come from New Age belief. And New Age says, all you need to do is be positive, think good thoughts, be, be a good person, and good things will happen. But the downside of, of being positive, because being positive is good. We do want to be positive people. We want to see the glass half full, right? This is a good thing. It sounds good. The bad thing about New Age, when it comes to suffering, it says to ignore it. Why? Because negative thoughts and, and negative feelings and nev negative expressions of suffering and pain give them power. And if you don't address the negative and if you don't speak about the suffering, then it really doesn't exist. New Age says pain and suffering is not real and it's, a, it's an illusion. It only becomes real when you speak about it or you address it. Here's the problem. We come into church with this idea of suffering, and we say, I'm going to ignore it. I'm going through something, but I'm not going to speak about it. I'm wrestling with an issue, but I'm not going to share it. Because if I share it, I give it power. That's a lie. Your words do not give evil and suffering power. Your words can overcome them because the word of God lives within us. New Age trips in and says, what do we do with evil? We ignore it. We don't talk about it. It doesn't exist if we don't talk about it. Have you ever heard anybody speak about it in church like this? They're going through something, but they won't tell you about it. They won't even say the name of what they're doing or going through because they feel like if they say it, they give it power. That's new age belief. That's not biblical. God says that's not how it works. So you see this in new age, and it's crept into mainstream Christianity where we have Christians who won't address real issue of pain and suffering for fear that they give it power. But as we read through the book of Job, 
we see that Job is very honest about his pain and suffering, don't we? It's in fact, his honesty is so severe and so real, it pushes his friends away and it causes them to begin to attack him and his character because he's too real and he's too honest. Probably, as we read through Job, some of this, the reason why we have issue about being honest and pain and suffering in, in the church today is because we're afraid that our friends would be like Job's friends. That when we are honest about what we're going through, what we're suffering, what we're wrestling with, that they'll begin to attack our character and blame us rather than help us continue to pursue Jesus. New Age belief has crept in and says we ignore it, we don't talk about it, but it's not biblical. Raw feelings and emotions, they don't upset God. In fact, as we continue to read through the book of Job this week, you'll see that God praises Job for his honesty. You'll see that God says, all of you spoke poorly about me except for Job, but we hear Job saying, God, are you just? God, are you loving? God, do you care about me? God, do you see me? Because he was being honest about what he was dealing with and what he was going through. As we read through this, we understand that when we ignore pain and suffering, it's not biblical and it's not helpful. I know. And I've, I've had stories where people are going through sickness in their bodies, but they won't talk about it. There was even a story that I read said there was a, a woman in the church, her husband was dying of cancer, and her best friend would not visit him in the hospital because she did not want to, the visit to the hospital she saw would be um, an acceptance of the stuff he was dealing with in his body. And so she, she ignored him and would not come to his bedside. Is that like Christ or is it not like Christ? Christ would be there with me. So this belief is damaging, it's not helpful. The next thing that we see, and we'll see it in Job as well, is this idea, and I, if, you're, if you're reading on the reading plan, you'll see that I talked about it in Job chapter 22, the idea of karma. It's, it's kind of like New Age beliefs because they both come from Eastern mythology and religion. Karma says you get what you deserve. If you can't read cursive, that's how I write. <laughs> Karma says you get what you deserve. This is actually a big thing in Hinduism, right? And so if you go to India, India has some of the poorest, uh, the most diseased people. And they're taught there, you don't help them. Don't, don't come to their aid because it's, they're, they're dealing with karma from a past life. And if you help them and get them out of that poverty and out of that sickness and disease, then you are, you are dooming them to repeat it in the next life. Allow karma to have its way and its place so that hopefully in the next life they end up a little bit better than they are right now. But karma actually perpetuates the issue and says suffering and pain and evil is the fault of the victim. It's their fault. They did something that is causing this. They did something to, to bring this evil on themselves. And we read it in Job chapter 22. As the, as the 
his friends are rebuking Job and, and saying, you've done wrong, you've done wicked. He says in Job chapter 22, verse 21, it says, agree with God and be at peace, thereby good will come to you. I love how the NIV reads it. It says, submit to God, be at peace with him, in this way prosperity, prosperity will come to you. What he's saying is, you're not doing those things, so you're reaping the consequences of evil. This is karma. Karma, it's your fault. This is conventional wisdom, and it's conventional because most of the time, it's true. These things are true. They have, they have glimmers of truth in them. But there are exceptions to these rules. And often when we allow them to come into the church because of that little glimmer of truth in them, we believe the whole thing. We swallow the fly with the ointment. We, we, we believe that, that there's a little bit of sweetness in it, but there's, it's been contaminated with a lie, and we just swallow it down. And so, you know, the idea of like, let's not talk about suffering. Let's not talk about pain. We don't want to give it power. There's a little bit of that. We want to be positive people. We want to see the glass half full, but it brings in devastating effects. In karma, we believe, yes, we honor God. We trust God. We follow God. We, we pursue after him. We seek his peace. We read his word. If we do that, we will have better lives here on earth than we would without him. This is true. But when we believe that hook, line, and sinker, then we can believe the opposite of it as well. If you're dealing with any kind of evil, any kind of suffering, any kind of pain, it's your fault because you've done something wrong. This is a lie that has seeped into the church. This problem of viewing suffering is that it blames the victim and justifies and legitimizes all the suffering in the world as the person's problem, their own issue. The story of Job brings that to light. If it, so if karma is how we address suffering in the world, then we're not really addressing it at all. We're just actually perpetuating it in a way. Even Jesus addresses this idea of karma when in John chapter 9, verses 2 and 3, his disciples find a blind man. You know this story. And they come to him, they say, Rabbi, whose fault is it that this, this man is born blind? The sins of his parents or his? God says it's not any of their fault. But this man was born blind that the glory of God might be revealed in him. So they're trying to say, look, is this... This idea of karma, somebody's fault that this happened to him. God said, nobody's fault. There is sin and suffering in the world. It has caused, there, there are uh, issues that arise because sin entered into the world and evil entered into the world. But it's not this person singular, this, their problem. Jesus addresses it. Jesus healed the man and Jesus said it wasn't karma. But sin has permeated the world, but God has come to cure the world of our sin. And put his power on display. Lastly, there is atheism, or I'm just going to say secular. That says because evil exists, God does not. There's a quote by a atheist philosopher, J.L. Mackey. He says this, a good thing, speaking of God, always eliminates evil as far as it can. And if God is all good and all powerful, he would eliminate evil everywhere. But because evil and, and suffering exist, there must not be a good God out there. 
but it assumes too much. And this secular idea of evil, since evil exists, God does not, has pushed people away from God and from the church. Because they come into church and everyone tells them, look, this prosperity gospel, do all the right things, you're going to prosper. And if you are suffering and issues, you're having issues, you're not doing it right. They mingle these things in. But what it pushes people to is this. Because they can say, I'm doing all the right things. And they're like Job. I've done all the right stuff, and yet evil still exists, and suffering is still happening, and I'm experiencing it. So there must not be a God who loves me, or there must not be a God who's all-powerful. And they turn their backs on God, and they walk away from the church. Because we have intermingled and mixed in a little bit of truth with a whole lot of lies, and it's pushed people far from God. And the sad thing is, that statement that if evil exists, God must not, the argument there, it assumes too much. It assumes too much about God, about who God is, and what God can do. See, the problem when, when God created in the beginning, he's so loving and so kind and so generous is that when he chose us, he had a choice in the choosing of creating us. He could have created us as robots, meaning he gave no, he gave no choice to choose something than the other. See, God, if he is all good and all powerful and all loving, he has to create a choice for the other. And the other opposite of good is evil. The opposite of joy is pain. And so God, when he created us, said, I don't want to create just robots who have no choice. I want, because I love them so much, I want to give them the option. He took the risk of saying, when I create them and I give them a choice, they have the risk of choosing something other than me. But because he was so loving and kind and generous towards us, he created us with a free will. He took the risk that we would potentially not choose him and, and choose sin instead. That brings evil and suffering into our world. And the reason why we choose evil, if evil was presented to us as it is in its pure form, no one would ever choose it. But, but sin is always presented to us in a form that seems pleasing and enjoyable to us, doesn't it? Because it, it has to lie to us for us to chase after it. Because if we look at the goodness of God, we would never choose sin and evil. Because he is so good and so wonderful and so kind. The problem is, if God were going to eradicate all evil in our world, then he would need to remove our ability to choose. And he loves us too much to take away our own free will. What's interesting about scripture Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says this, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? What's interesting about this argument of God removing evil and stopping suffering is that he would have to stop our hearts to stop evil in our world because it has been so permeated into who we are. As Adam and Eve sinned, it's, was passed down from us, to us from generation to generation. It would take our death to stop evil. But the beauty of the gospel is found in that statement. Because God said, I love them so much, I don't want to rob them of their free will, but there has to be a transition of heart to eradicate evil. 
There has to be a change and there has to be a death. So instead of our death to stop our hearts, to stop evil from flowing, God said, I'll send my son. He'll give his life. His heart will stop. And his blood will cover those who wrestle with sin and evil and suffer. And he found the solution to our evil. And his name is Jesus. He died for you and me so that we wouldn't have to die so that sin would stop in the world. He defeated it and its power over us. Secondly, as we read through the book of Job, we understand that suffering has the ability to open our eyes to things that we could not see before it happened to us. Have you ever had that in your life? You've gone through some very traumatic things or very hard issues, but when you've come out on the other side of it, you see God in a different way and in a new light, and you're actually closer to him than you were before it. Maybe if you, if you can't answer that one yet, maybe you've not worked all the way through the end of that issue. Maybe you're in the middle of it. As we're reading through the Bible and we're, we're doing the Bible recap and there's a podcast that comes along with it, there, the, the uh, host of the podcast, Terry Lee Cobble, always says this, when you're reading through Job, never stop in the middle of it. Either never start it or finish it to the end. Because if you stop in the middle, you're not going to get the full story of who God is and what he can do. And some of us, were in the middle of that story in our own lives. We're going through some suffering, and, and, and we would hope that we'd, we would never have to go through suffering and never have suffering, but, but don't stop in the middle of the suffering. Continue to trust God all the way through it so you can see who he is and what he can do. And we see that as we go through suffering, even though it's horrible, we can understand that, that in these short moments we, we get a glimpse of who God is and how loving and kind he is actually to us. And the fact that when we go through suffering, we get that sense that there's something wrong about it. This is not how we sh were to be created. This is not how it's supposed to be. This is foreign to us. Why? Because we were created in the image and likeness of God who is good, who is kind, loving. And when we experience these things, it seems foreign to us because it's not of us. It's from evil. And evil is outside of us trying to work its way into us through sin. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, that God has put eternity in our hearts, which means that we are created to live in a world without sin and death and live forever. But yet, because of death and because there is sin, we know that this is not how it should be. This is why we long for beauty, long for peace, long for justice and love. We were created for it. And when we experience evil and suffering, it shocks us because it goes against how we were created. See, in a secular worldview, saying if evil exists, God does not, it points that suffering has no point. If this life is all there is, suffering has no benefit. There is, no there is nothing that it prepares us for in, in the next life. We should just eat, drink, and be happy for tomorrow we die. That is the expression of a secular worldview. But how many of us could say that there are some of the greatest lessons we've ever learned in life has come to us through suffering? Or that we encounter Jesus in those moments of our deep, deepest and darkest hours of life, we felt the peace and presence of God like we had never experienced before. What I love about the story of Job, especially as we continue to read, is that we learn that God is always there with him. God has never stopped listening to him. God has never turned his back on him in the middle of suffering. 
And if we think because suffering exists and evil exists, God does not exist, then what is this all about? There are times in our lives that we experience suffering and it doesn't seem to have a point. It doesn't seem to make sense or have any reason, but we don't have the benefit of seeing the full story yet till it's in. I think of the story of Joseph, as we're going to read in the next couple of weeks. Joseph, his brothers are jealous of him. They are going to kill him. They decide to sell him into slavery. He goes into Egypt. He's there 20 years at least in captivity, mistreated, forgotten, but never forgotten by God. And finally, because of his commitment to God and God's power in his life, it takes him from the prison cell in Egypt to second in command in all of Egypt. And they go through a huge drought and famine. And then we see his brothers finally come to Egypt to beg for bread in front of them. And He reveals himself to them later on. He says in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, it says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for my good. To bring about for that many people should be kept alive as they are today. See, when we're going through pain and suffering, we might not know why it's happening because we don't see, we don't have the benefit of what's on the other side of it. When we encounter suffering, we can assume the reason But it's not so easy and obvious to us. We can't assume that we always know the answer. And we can't assume that God isn't working despite what we see and what we experience. I believe that the church, Christianity, provides the solution to the problem of evil and suffering in our world. That these things do not. New age religion would say, live in a fairy tale. Ignore evil. Ignore suffering. Don't give it power, and it'll go away. Karma would say, people get what they deserve. Blames the victim for what they're suffering. Secular atheism would say, suffering is pointless, and a loving God must not exist. But none of them provide the solution to the suffering that we see in our world. But God, through his son Jesus, not only addresses suffering and evil, but he provides the cure for it. Maybe not today, maybe not in the temporal But in the eternal, there will be a day when we come without any, there will be no more suffering, no more pain, no more tears to cry. And Job talks about it in chapter 19, verse 25. As he's going through all of this, he says this prophetic word, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. He's speaking not only of Jesus' first coming, but he's also speaking of his second coming. In the end, Jesus will return to eradicate suffering and evil and pain. And that's the hope that we hold on to. He is the only solution to the suffering we see in our world. None of these other things will, uh, will even uh, help us overcome the pain and suffering we see, but only Jesus. Maybe not in this life, but definitely as we reach eternity. I love what Paul's words say in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. See, God promises for whatever we experience in this life, he can turn it around for our good. That means suffering. That means pain. That means evil. We may not know what it's going to be or how it's going to be turned around, but he's going to turn it around. It's up to him, and he's going to do it. And secondly, we know in the end that God will eradicate evil. It says in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, 
people wipe away every tear from your eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. In the end, suffering and evil are overcome by the goodness and the love of God. But in these moments, if we can't hang on to the nature of God that says he is loving, he is kind, he is powerful, and he is good, then we will let go of the hope that we have of an eternity with him that says he will eradicate evil and suffering once forevermore. Paul says it best in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. I pray that we would be a people who say, whatever issue we go through, whatever issue is happening in our bodies and in our families, does not compare to the glory that we will experience one day that will be revealed to us who is Jesus. This is our hope that we have today as we read through the book of Job, looking at the truth that is revealed to us. That even in the midst of suffering, there is a purpose for the pain. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. There is a God who promises to work out all things for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. Worship team, if you would come forward. I want to pray for us as we close our time this morning. I don't know what you might be going through or wrestling with today. I don't know if you're wrestling with the questions of why, or you're wrestling with suffering in your own life or in your family. But I'm here to tell you today that there is a God who is loving, that he does love you, that he is powerful, that he can change things and turn things around in a moment. That he has a plan and a purpose for you. And he desires to be with you in these moments of pain and suffering. Maybe we can't explain why they are the way they are, but we can say that God has never left us or forsaken us. He's never turned his back on us. And Jesus came and experienced the suffering that you and I experienced by hanging to the cross so that he could know what we're going through. He can relate to us and he can give us hope for a better tomorrow. And I want to pray with you today. With every head bowed, every eye closed. First, if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, if you don't know Jesus, you don't know him as your personal Savior and Lord, then there is no solution to your suffering, and there is no freedom from your pain. But if you know Jesus, if you've given your heart to Jesus, there is a promise of freedom from the suffering that you experience, and that there is power in Christ to overcome whatever pain you might be experiencing in this life. There is hope in Jesus today. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you want a relationship with Jesus, 
the one who brings the solution to the evil of this world and to the suffering of your own heart. And on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I want to know this Jesus who is the cure. One, two, three, right now. Would you raise your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I want to know this Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Seeing no hands raised, then I want to pray for anyone that's here this morning who might be going through a, a difficult time or a difficult season. That there is hope. That there is life. That even in the midst of the suffering and the pain, that you can find hope today in Jesus. So if that's you this morning, I just want you to stand to your feet so I can pray with you. That Jesus would be the one who comes and brings you peace in the middle of the storm. That he comes and breathes his life in situations where we don't know why it is the way it is that Jesus would walk with you and strengthen you and encourage you and build you up. I'm going to pray with us right now. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning believing that you're the only solution to the problem of suffering, evil, and pain in our world and especially in our own hearts. So, God, we come to you this morning seeking to turn our eyes to you, turn our hearts towards you. That, God, we might not understand the, the reason why we go through the things we go through, but we understand that you are going with us through them and that you have a promise of a better tomorrow and a better eternity with you. A time where there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. We will have life and joy and peace. And we pray, God, that you would give us a glimpse of that even today. Come and bring peace to our hearts. Joy to our minds. Help us to hold on to you, the truth, the life. We love you. Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel to hear past episodes. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate it and share it with your friends and help us out a lot. If you're interested in supporting the ministry of Central